0: Well, we're turning in our Bibles now to Acts chapter 14. We are reaching the halfway point in the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking today at verse 19 down through verse 28 together. But once again, in order to get our bearings, we're going to have to pause and get a sense of where we were, where we are, where we're headed. So there's this map. should appear on the screen at this point. And as you look at the map, we've got to get a sense of how the Apostle Paul has been traveling now he was in what was then known as Antioch of Syria now it's a portion of Turkey and he made his way towards Cyprus and then onward upward into a region today we still know as Turkey Turkey is a fascinating setting geographically it is where east and west meet the people in Turkey on one hand look to the west there, they find their economic stability. They find that sense of economic security. But when they turn to the East, they turn to Islam. They turn to the spiritualities of that region. And because of that, this is a region of tension where East and West meet, it was true then, true now. And the Apostle Paul made his way into the setting that we're now looking at this morning known as Lystra, and there should be a a picture of Lystra that appears on the screen. And Lystra was more of an agricultural setting, you see. They were steeped more in traditions, more into mythology and the likes. This was more rural by nature, we can see it, the fields themselves. Known for its corn production, known for the way in which merchants might arrive on the scene, bearing news from the coastline, and then heading onward. This is the setting now that we find the Apostle Paul in. He's been sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this setting. You pick it up now, and you'll notice with me, beginning in verse 19, these words. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds... They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, gathered, and entered the city. And the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Well, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, when they had spoken the word in Perga, and down to Adalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So we're going to be looking at these verses and trying to see how all this fits together. Going to build a bridge from the days in which this was written into 2020. Trying to make this contemporary, connect it to where we're at today. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Now, Father, we're thanking you for who you are. Thanking you for what you've done at the cross of Jesus Christ. You sent Jesus into the world. What Christ did on that cross was sufficient. What Christ did on that cross was total. What Christ did on the cross is complete. Neither the secularists nor the religionists can add to it or subtract from it. And we thank you, Father, for the perfectly designed plan for salvation found in Christ alone. So, Father, for any of the people in services today and for those in the live stream, maybe three or four people gathered around a screen right now, maybe somebody invited from the neighborhood or an extended family member to process what's found here in these verses. Speak to that heart. Allow for your word to penetrate deeply, fully, completely. It's about your word, not our opinions that matter most at this point. So Father, we're praying now in the moments to come that You would warm these hearts. You would engage these minds. You would shape these wills. As again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and and Him only. We're praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a look at this scene, this picture that appears on the screen you've come with me to New England. And I say, let's take a look at this particular door found on countless numbers of houses throughout from Maine on through Rhode Island into Connecticut and so forth. Look very carefully. In colonial New England, the paneled front door of a house in which the slides... And the rails of the door form a pattern. They form a pattern representative of the cross. We've embedded there the cross for your, for your perspective. But if you were to look at the lower section of the door, the lower styles and rails, they form a pattern that's suggestive of the open book representing the Bible. For you see, in the Great Awakening prior to the Revolutionary War, in the Great Awakening prior to the writing of the Declaration of the Independence, what you and I find is that the people in the colonies were making a visible statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when somebody would arrive at the front door they would take into account this visual that would draw them to the scriptures and draw them to the work that Jesus Christ fulfilled on the cross. Doors. Now, fast forward it into the 20th century and ponder what took place then. Take, for example, a penning of the Lord of the Rings, and on into the 21st. Now, when you would consider, for example, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, there was this round hobbit door, and Gandalf had a way of etching certain thoughts on that door to capture the attention of the people that, were, that he wanted to communicate with. Let your mind go back to the Wizard of Oz. There's this door to the Emerald City, one of the famous doors in the Wizard of Oz. It's this, it's this entrance, you see, with a circular window out of which a, a guard appears when Dorothy and her friends when they try to enter in. And of course, you're sitting with family members, and you're reading Lord of the Rings. Rather, you're reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to them. And there's Lucy, and she's looking for a place to hide. And, uh, well, she opens an innocent-looking wardrobe door to find this snowy landscape. Narnia uh, behind the fur coats in the back. You're watching a movie or maybe just pondering a show on TV. Somebody's working in the kitchen, but the camera crew have positioned themselves in such a way for you to look over the shoulder of the one working in the kitchen, there's a door. There's a mystery attached to that door. Who's going to come in? Who's going to go out? What's behind that door? Monty Hall used that approach. In a game show, where one had to choose between door number one, door number two, door number three. The show is revived in these current days. The physician Luke, in chapter 14 and verse 27, would pen these thoughts, that when they arrived and gathered the church together, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, they delivered. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had, quote, opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This morning, as you're looking at what has stood behind you and what stands before you, you have been and you will be living with the tension of closed doors and open doors. Is that door locked? What's behind that door? Should I enter? Should I not? Maybe I should wait. And will God unlock that door that has seemed locked forever? And what about the door of that heart where I've been sharing the gospel, maybe with a family member, and maybe with a co-worker, maybe with a neighbor? But for some reason thus far, not only is the door closed, the door's locked. What's fascinating is that the Apostle Paul never forced the door open. What we find is that he trusts the sovereign God to unlock doors that had previously been locked. Now let's take all the imagery that we've just developed in these last moments. In, it in this passage of scripture that we're exploring this morning. And what we want to do is to be able to draw out three significant views that are found here to help us to better understand how God works with doors, the doors of our lives. And the first is found in verses 19 and 20. It'll appear on the screen. And as God opens doors for gospel advancement, I want to start with you this morning by viewing, first of all, the fact that opposition, we need to view opposition as being inevitable. It's going to happen. You say, Gary, if God opens a door, why should there be hard times? If God unlocks the door and opens the door, why should there be opposition? Why should there be tension? Why should there be turmoil? The very experience that the Apostle Paul will eventually reference as being part of his open-door experience involved persecution. Persecution. You pick it up now in verse 19, and here you and I are told, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, what immediately captures your attention and my attention at this point is that geographically, These individuals who stoned the Apostle Paul walked 100 or so, give or take, miles to do this. So turned off were they to the gospel that was being presented in Antioch, as well as in Iconium, that they made their way to Lystra, where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had been telling others about Jesus, and they were seeing great results, and people were coming to save in faith. But you see, the evil one will work overtime in order to turn the tide. And so now, what you and I find here, that after their 100-plus-mile trek, they find the energy in verse 19 in this rural setting to persuade the crowds. The crowds that had been so appreciative of of Saul, of paul and barnabas to the point where they were being dubbed as roman gods initially zeus hermes but beware the fickleness of the heart beware the fickleness of the crowds the adoring crowds that were calling out praise in the name of god as jesus christ entered into jerusalem would be part of the crowd, likewise, that would shout out, crucify him. Beware the fickleness of the human nature. And so now, here's the Apostle Paul. These people have traveled 100 or so miles in order to turn the tide. And what you find, and I find at this point, they persuaded the crowd. And they stoned Paul. You see it there in verse 19. What interests us at this point is that stonings were to take place outside the city limits. But so consumed were they when it came to their attitude and their antagonism toward the gospel that they weren't going to wait. They stoned Paul inside the city limits and then dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. And I thought about that when I was again reading out of the Reformation time period where the reformer Basil made this statement to a king who was persecuting the Christians of that era. Sir, it is true the lot of the church of Jesus Christ for which I speak to endure blows and not to strike them. But may it please you sir to remember that the church is an anvil which has worn out many a hammer now the apostle paul is taking the hammer blows and it would be easy for the apostle paul to say closed door But what we find here is that God is going to use persecution here, just as God used persecution in Jerusalem under the auspices, one known as Saul of Tarsus, later known as the Apostle Paul, and just as Saul of Tarsus oversaw the stoning of a man named Stephen so that the gospel would get out of Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So now likewise, God is going to use persecution, stoning, In Paul's life at this point in order to keep him moving on which means then that when hardships come your way don't assume immediately this is a closed-door matter this could be the very vehicle by which God is at work getting you from point A to point B in your own life journey spiritually speaking So now here's the Apostle Paul, and he has gone through such intense persecution, stoning and such. They've dragged him out of the city. They assume that he's dead. You're up to verse 20. And when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. That's the Apostle Paul. Stamina strength keeping on, keeping on it would have been easy to think this door is closed he rose up disciples are watching him could that include Timothy his mother and grandmother why in Acts chapter 16 this is the very setting they came from We are told. And so now they're watching this man who embodies the essence of living for the resurrected one, Jesus Christ. He's been stoned. He gets up. Believers are watching. And entered the city. The very city in which he was stoned. What do you make of that? And what do you do when you find life so difficult that you just simply want to flee, run from rather than run to? He entered the city. He went back. A writer tells us on our first visit to Africa, my wife and I visited a tiny upcountry village in the Ivory Coast. We met a man named Chloe, a blind evangelist. That day, the man had walked several dozen miles from his own village to get to where we were at, where he ministered to a small group of Christians. We watched him in action, breathless with admiration for his courage to share the gospel in a town where Islam was militantly practiced. A few months after we met Chloe, he was attacked and severely beaten by those who had resisted his presence there. And his blindness gave him no opportunity for defense. Yet, when he had recovered from his wounds, he went back. Is there something or someone where God is saying, Yeah, you got hurt there? Go back. They're going to be taken by your wounds. And amazed by your faithfulness. He rose, entered the city, and then the next day, not immediately, but the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Derby, agricultural, Derby, archaeological. Let's take a look at Derby. You are with me. 2017, I was tracking the journeys of the Apostle Paul, family, present. Didn't get this far, that's still to come. Derby is in Turkey. Notice the archeological finds. Notice the opportunities that people have at this point to pause and ask questions such as, what was going on here? What was Paul experiencing? What was he saying? How was he communicating the gospel? You're taken aback, you see, is how the geography ties together with your own current experiences of life. Views. God... Opened the door via opposition to get the Apostle Paul from Lystra to Derby so that people could hear the good news of what Jesus Christ was all about. Now, there's Derby. We need to develop a second view, don't we? And so out of verses 21 through 23, as God opens doors for gospel advancement, note furthermore with me, view how discipleship is being being essential. So beginning in verse 21, when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, notice what he does. A return trip. Now we're going to retrace. We're going to go back once again to Lystra, once again to Iconium, where people had traveled 100 or so miles to get to Lystra in order to persecute Paul. Now notice what they're doing. They're even going into the very regions, the source of the persecution. That's your Apostle Paul for you. And as they go into that sitting, we're told that they made many disciples so they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch. And as they returned to those settings, notice what we are told here. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith. Now what you and I need to do is to find ways to build a sense of, of strength, stamina in the lives of other people for the advancement of the gospel. At the beginning of verse 22, right after Paul and Barnabas have retraced their steps to the very source of persecution, we find them not being strengthened by believers, but rather we are being told that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is astounding. It's a rare word that's found in the Greek and the New Testament. It means literally in terms of architecture and construction to make even more firm, to provide additional support. So now what they're saying is, we know you're strong, but we are here to help make you stronger yet. We're going to provide another layer of support here so that when the winds of trial come blowing upon you you're able to withstand the storms of life are you pouring strength into others for the advancement of the gospel strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them is the next word here you're still in verse 22 to continue in the faith because so many people get discouraged and they need a healthy source of encouragement. Have you ever noticed that the word courage is found within the word encourage? In other words, you are pouring courage in to that person who's at the front lines of where things are at. Robert Fullerton was discouraged discouraged with his invention of the steamboat and the jeering response of the crowds. But one day, a man went on board the boat, and this conversation began to unfold. Mr. Fulton, I assume. Yes, sir. Do you return to New York with this boat? That is our plan, sir. Can I have passage down below? You can take your chance with us, sir. How much is the passage worth? Fulton had never thought about that, never been asked. And after a moment's hesitation, he named the dollar amount, and the man became the first person to pay for a steamboat passage in all of history. Four years later, Fulton met this man, and this is what he said. The vivid emotions caused by your paying me that first passage money will always be remembered. You encouraged me, sir. It was the turning point in my destiny, the dividing line between light and darkness, the first actual recognition of the usefulness that I could have to to fellow people. You poured courage within me. You and I have opportunity, whether we are right now doing a live stream or in person, to find ways for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring a sense of courage and invest it rather than waste it in others. So they were encouraged them to continue in the faith. And notice that it says in the faith. It does not say their faith. In other words, what he's saying here is that there's an absolute aspect to the faith. The gospel message that Jesus Christ died for us is you gotta make it personal, it's gotta be your faith. But your faith is being defined by the faith. The faith as explained by the fact that on that day when Jesus Christ died, there was a trajectory towards an empty tomb, just awaiting to happen, you see, to encourage the disciples surround him. And the Apostle Paul was confronted with this resurrection reality on the road to Damascus. So now they're looking at one another. He's strengthening them, he's encouraging them. And now, if this isn't a sense of reality and authenticity, then what is? saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I could just see them now looking at each other saying, that's exactly what he's done. We still see the markings from the stonings. Then we're told, and when they had appointed elders for them in each and every church with prayer and fasting, notice the climate in which this took place, prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. He was able to overcome his weariness and still organize the church when wilberforce became inflamed with the idea of stopping slavery in england became a member of parliament pushed on by william pitt spoke out against slavery and the slave trade but defeat after defeat after defeat occurred within parliament In 1807, he persuaded his colleagues to ban slave trade. Not until 1833 did both houses of Parliament finally abolish slavery in Britain. The news of total victory came to Wilberforce on his deathbed. He was driven throughout his entire life by an idea whose time finally came as he was breathing his last. But he remained driven. What's your drive like? What's your stamina like? Do you have that sense of push? In his weariness, he pulls the people together and he appoints elders. Greek word presbyteros, from which we get the word Presbyterian, for them in every church. What's happening here? He's organizing this setting. The church is more than an organization. The church is an organism. With an organization, an organism, in commons, they both are organized. But the church as a body is organized. The physical body has various systems. The endocrine system, the skeletal system, the circulatory system, and so on. God has sovereignly fit everything together in a way to bring glory to his name. Now, when the Apostle Paul, then, as you and I are told here in this 23rd verse, committed them to the Lord, he now moves from the medical term to the financial term because the word committed means to deposit as in a bank. In other words, these were monies that were to compound, add to, not subtract from. They were to be multipliers of disciples in the setting that God had placed them in. And so here now is the Apostle Paul. And he's pondering the way God opens doors for gospel advancement. And the doors are open, even in the midst of opposition. And the doors are open in the midst of opposition. There's to be discipleship. Well, where's he going to go? What's he going to do? What comes next? This is a man who loves adventure. love that about him. Take a look at the map that appears on the screen. It's as if he's saying, okay, now, first journey over. It's time to report back in. And so you see where he's at now, and what we know is Monday, Turkey. And so he makes his way out of a region that the Bible referred to as Galatia, from which we get the book Galatians. He wrote to these people based upon the experiences that we're looking at right now. And so he tracks. He heads backward, and now he makes his way to the shoreline around Perga here. But we're following now the blue back. He's not going to go down to Cyprus. That's where he was. Going to make his way back to that international church Antioch in Syria, now southern part of Turkey. And he's going to report in. He's got stories to tell. Experiences to share. You're on then to the third view, found in verse 24 through 28. As God opens doors for gospel advancement, view reviewing as being instructional. Our pastors, we do a review preview on Mondays. Review the past week, preview the coming week, reflect upon what God did, get a sense of direction as to where God is going. And so now it's review preview time. You're in 24. They passed through Pisidia. They came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, went down to Adalia. From there they sailed to Antioch. And winter, they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So what does he do? He's now in verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, I want you to look at the wording very carefully. They declared all that God had done with them. It does not read that they declared all that they did for God. They declared all that God had done with them. See how God centered the eye? See how God focused they are. And so now there's this sense of God at work. They declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith. It was God who opened the door. They're not the ones, He's sovereign. Paul is conscious of God opening doors. Paul is conscious of God closing doors. We're conscious of doors. If you come with me to London, thinking of a time back in 2015, we arrive at 10 Downing Street. Pride place. It's the most famous door in London. It's the shiny black door, lion's head the door knocker there is only one way in one way out for the prime minister and residence it's bomb proof bomb proof we make our way to 221B Baker Street, ah Sherlock's Holmes entrance door and if we make our way even further to Westminster Abbey We pause and look at, off to the side, the great west door where the Duchess of Cambridge would enter to meet Prince William, 2011, to be married. Doors. You're watching a movie, you're watching on television, and there's this woman, and she's standing in the kitchen at this point. But it's not so much here. You're watching the door. The cameramen have captured it, and those that have positioned things strategically, they built this sense of anticipation. Who's going to come in? Who's going to go out? What's behind that door? What's out there? Lucy enters into the wardrobe, and all of a sudden she goes to this door, and she's a Narnia. There's this hobbit who all of a sudden finds mockings on the door again, often busy. And there's an adventure waiting to happen. And then there's Jesus, who in John chapter 10, verse 7, said, I am the door. This grips Paul. This challenges Paul. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, a wide door for effective work has opened to me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, sharing that a door was opened for me in the Lord. In Colossians 4, verse 3, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. The Apostle Paul, he's a man of faith, trusting in God to open doors rather than forcing them open. Himself. You trust in God with that door in your life right now? So, out of all this, I can just imagine the conversations late at night. They gathered together, they're reflecting, they're talking, and they remained no little time with the disciples, you see. So here's where they were, and here's the way it looks today. That's Antioch, Syria today. And you ponder what happened there, the stories that unfolded there. But from there, I say, hey, let's get back to the States. We get back to the States and say, would you do me a favor? I need to stop in New England again. So we go back to New England and look at the store that appears. It's typical in the colonial setting. One more look. One more time. Let's take it in. Ponder what's there. And there, in the uppercase, is the cross. And there, in the lowercase, is the Bible. The door. Adventures are behind that door. Stories to be found behind that door. There's a door, and God is sovereign over the doors of your life. Be used and be ready to be used to walk through his doors for his glory. Let's stand together. Father, we're thanking you now for times like these. Whether it be in first service, whether it be this service, whether it be live stream, right now somebody's saying, "My son, my daughter, it seems like the door that heart's closed. What do I do?" Teach them, Father, we can't force a door open if it's locked there is a sovereign God who unlocks doors. There's a Jesus who stands at the door and knocks, as the Father then opens the door. There's a cold worker, seems so hard, so closed. There's that neighbor who has a closed-door mentality towards things that matter most, Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul reminds us that they declared all that God had done with them, how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Begin opening doors now, Father, and use each one here and each one watching at this very moment. It's time to walk through time to walk through, and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.